Wapping Project is a, a vision which encapsulates new work, the commissioning of writers, poets, choreographers, composers, filmmakers, video makers and photographers. Welcome to the latest instalment of Pass Forward, the Whopping Project at 20. My name's Gareth Evans, I'm your host for this conversation and for the series, and it's my huge pleasure to be in extended conversation today with So Meyer. Welcome, So. Hi, Gareth. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure to have you here, So. Now, you are many, many things. You're the author of books of poetry, of essays, of studies of new feminist cinema. You're a curator with the queer feminist film collective Club des Femmes. You're a bookseller at Burley Fisher, and you're the co-founder of Raising Films, a campaign for care in the film industry. But for our purposes today, you're the writer of a trinity of responses to the Wapping Project that are featured, uh, in fact, that launched and opened the first publication by Wapping Project Commissions, the new incarnation of the Wapping Project, once it stepped away from the Wapping Hydraulic Power Station several years ago. And you were presented with a trinity of T's, transition, transformation and transience. Uh, and you were asked to respond to that, and you did in a really striking and remarkable way. And I wonder if you could uh, give us a sense of what your initial response to uh, this commission proposal was and how you decided to go about it. My response was a combination of excitement and curiosity and also some awe because of the history of the Whopping Project and of the quality of artists that had worked with and in the space. So to be entering into that lineage, into that archive of work was an absolute thrill and it was an honour to work uh, with the documentation that had been part of how the Whopping Project worked from its inception. Not every art project uh, documents itself with such an eye to posterity and also access. So in order to reflect on transition and transience, I also wanted to reflect on continuity, uh, the continued presence or absent presence of the project and manifestations that were still available digitally, although I hadn't seen them in person. And so the pieces were about that tension, which I think in 2020 has become so familiar for so many of us, even those who, those of us who've been geographically privileged to have metropolitan access to art galleries and film festivals and perhaps take it on assumption that that was how culture was intended to be accessed. Um, it's been a, a moment of reflection on how that is indeed an extreme privilege, an economic privilege, uh, an able-bodied privilege. And to see just the depths um, um, depth charge of being able to engage with digital archives. I've been working as a digital archivist and activist for digital democracy for about 15 years now. And although that's not something that is on the surface of the, the Trinity, the triptych of poems, that was the method which was to engage with what was available online and to think backwards from the Wapping Project's location to histories of electricity, telephony, uh, telegrams, which crisscrossed and made possible empire and made London the imperial 
metropolitan centre it was and how the project was unpacking that, reflecting on that uneasiness, trying to shift some of the conversation around that as well. So bringing together memory, technology, the archive, the body, loss, a sense of loss or hauntedness, and then also awe and respect for what the project was and who those the artists that were being worked with were. So I specifically responded to work by Jane Prophet, um, Anya Galazio, and Shobana Jayasinghe, working in three very different forms. So across choreography with music, um, across a very techno-materialist installation and an installation that worked with with ice and temperature um, to think specifically and in a very embodied way around these questions of memory and it was no accident that I chose three artists who were women as well. Tremendous, an incredible answer, all sorts of things that we can unpick from that. And the piece uh, the, as, a, as a whole, was, uh, you, you title Line of Visible Light, and, that, and you go straight in, as you, as you suggested, to that idea of kind of cabling and connection and, and the, 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 the consolidation and, and circulation of empire. With your first piece, uh, Prophet Conductor, a nice play on Jane Prophet and her, her work, Conductor, as you mentioned, we've spoken to Jane in an earlier edition. Now, this is for transition, and central to that, among uh, 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 lyrical reflections and insightful observations about light and energy and power is, is a sense of Joseph Conrad and Heart of Darkness. And you then put us right uh, back on the River Thames and remind us, of course, of the Wapping Hydraulic Power Station and its relationship to the river. And I wonder, um, for listeners who haven't uh, yet read your piece, if you could just give us a sense of, of why that link with, with Heart of Darkness was important to you. Whenever I cross one of the median bridges of the Thames, the line from the opening um, of uh, Joseph Conrad's novel Heart of Darkness, that we live in the flicker, that this has been one of the dark places of the earth also, uh, as if it wasn't at the time he was writing, occurs to me. And I think about the situation of of the introduction of that novel of listeners sitting on a boat very deliberately in the middle of the Thames, in between the two banks, in between the two cultures, in between leaving and returning, taking this moment to think about imperial histories. Um, usually the novel is associated with another river, the Congo, where the dramatic denouement takes place. But the the opening of the novel is very much situated in London and creates this parallel between the Thames and the Congo. And it's perhaps only in the last 30 or 40 years of historical scholarship that the very direct connection that Conrad is already recognizing and exploring has been addressed head on since books like The, the Black Atlantic by Paul Gilroy. Um, and thinking about the Wapping project and its situation in a hydraulic power station and what hydraulic power meant and how the building of those stations was funded, it felt essential to make that connection and to think about what 
whopping hydraulic power station would have been an emblem of when it was being built, this showcase of uh, imperial power in 1890 at the moment of electrification. Um, and what, what other kinds of power uh, that are perhaps not as evident as electricity that that was dependent on. I mean, of course, literally coal uh, and oil as well as water, but state power, colonial power, uh, and then thinking about how cultural work can both be soft power and can be used to speak truth to power. Tremendous as ever. I mean, what already will be striking to listeners is how textured and uh, variant your, your uh, responses are. They take in numerous disciplines and they think really in a cross-disciplinary way, which of course is the pleasure to be found in your writing as well. And so I think in a way now, if we if we take that idea of, of, of the maritime, of the, of the fluent, of the fluid and, and move into the second piece, this is um, taking uh, obviously uh, its title directly from uh, Shabane Jaya Singh's uh, dance piece uh, with uh, school children called Answers from the Ocean. And I wonder if you could just give us a sense, first of all, of, of, of why particularly this piece uh, appealed to you, but also how you then transformed it in, in your own creative response. One of the instantly engaging factors uh, with Shabana Jaising's piece, well, there were two. So first of all, that I had seen her choreography on various stages live, although not at the Whopping Project. So I had an immediate visceral, partial knowledge of, of her work and of how she worked with dancers. I'd also been really lucky to see her give uh, a masterclass lecture about her choreographic practice. And so had some sense of her really deep understanding of working with the body, working interculturally, the critical processes that she went through to build her pieces with music, with dancers, with spaces, and having that really visceral, immediate, embodied knowledge of her as an artist and her practice was something that I wanted to pay homage to. And then the fact that there was video available of the choreography, which I watched in depth multiple times, pausing, screenshotting frames and making notes on those frames as a, a process of finding the poem, meant that it was one of the pieces that I could engage with in most depth specifically. And it's the poem that perhaps most has the feeling of being an annotation or intertitles, that's how I try to think of it, as intertitles that might have played live with the piece itself, if that's, I mean, that's a very arrogant thing to say, but had I been, uh, had the opportunity to be invited or if there was a revival, that was the, the feeling that I wanted it to have, is that it was, it was writing that was emerging from the piece and that was embedded in the piece, which has these incredibly um, oceanic rhythms of flow, of build, um, and of of ebb and working with a rhythmic piece is very exciting for uh, 
a poet, I think, or for many poets, um, because it gives you a, a musicality to respond to and engage with, sometimes in counterpoint, sometimes in harmony, and to be able to salute that musicality and salute the way that that rhythm was also using the particular space and working with this particular body of performers, as you said, um, young local performers who were perhaps learning this choreography for the first time and learning it in relation to something some of them may have encountered the, the sea and some of them may have encountered only as in visual representations, but had this excited sense of that gave me so much to work with in a very different way than working in a more research-based way on the piece about Conductor that reflected Jane Prophet's own description of her, her process um, researching into bioluminescence and conductive technologies. That's tremendous. Thank you very much indeed. I mean, it's interesting to think of the different um, approaches that you have uh, across the, the three parts. And, and again, also very struck by the fact that, as you said, uh, all the makers you've chosen, and, and in this case, the performers uh, are women and girls. And that element of the Wapping Project's cultural history has, has been commented on, obviously, as it would be uh, throughout this series today. But for you as, um, as a writer, as an audience member, as someone living in the city, how important do you think uh, the project has been in terms of its centrality of, of women makers because it seems to me that uh, it's a, a, an unusual venue and, uh, and, a, a, and a distinctive project in many ways but not least because it placed um, cultural production by women um, at its absolute core of activity and and has obviously supported nurtured shown and developed the work of, of many uh, women artists across numerous disciplines I don't think that we can state the importance of that frequently enough or, or loudly enough. It's so significant that that commitment was very public and also that it was transgenerational so that it wasn't just, as you say, uh, Gareth, very well chosen word, an incubator, which is often used to privilege emerging artists and often a concept of emerging that relates specifically to the fetishization of youth, but that there were intergenerational conversations as well as multimodal and multimedia practices being invited into the space and artists who are known for making uh, politicized work as well. So it wasn't just a commitment that was framed around understanding gender as an axis that can be separated from other aspects of lived experience such as as age such as racialization or seeing gender as separated from the politics that come from the lived experience of being in a gendered body and that was one of the things that particularly struck me about Anya Galazio's work was that in another context that piece may have been read as neutral or abstract or not particularly related to the politics of lived experience but within the history of the whopping project to work at that scale and i think scale is uh, really significant as well because where historically privileged women artists have been offered opportunities they have so frequently been at a small scale that is seen to relate to the domestic, that is seen to relate to the capacity um, uh, that has been uh, perceived or placed onto different 
differently gendered uh, bodies and minds and is often used to contain those opportunities. So to work on a large scale, to work with technology, to work with installation scale, with sculpture, with materials that are seen as or framed as industrial um, or in some way inimical, not soft or welcoming or warm. Um, within the context of the Whopping Project, it was open for me to read that as a kind of feminist fuck you. Whereas if the, it had taken place in another venue where, and it, let's be frank, it may not, that opportunity may not have been extended, it may have been read in less politicized ways or been less open to those readings because, of course, my reading is only one possible reading of an extremely multifaceted project that takes in a huge number of ideas about climate crisis, about materiality, about um, the sensorium of temperature, um, about the body and space. Thank you very much indeed. Intensities and Surfaces is indeed a multifaceted work and has an incredible uh, physical presence at the, at the heart of its expression. I'm delighted that all three pieces that, that you've mentioned so are available on the Whopping Project's Vimeo channel to, to be viewed. Uh, product, uh, conductor uh, by Jane Prophet, uh, Answers for the Ocean and Intensities and Surfaces. Now, this, uh, this response to the final piece makes up the third part of your uh, your triptych of responses, transience. And it, it leads us into the, the new life of the Wapping Project uh, in the original publication made by Wapping Project Commissions, which took it out of the building, away from the power station, of course, and into the world proper, into uh, multiple incarnations, uh, supporting uh, feature-length documentary films, uh, other publications, very ambitious installations. And as you said, what's been central to um, other artists' responses to their time with the Wapping Project has been this idea idea that Jules Wright gave them the um the space and and the uh, the green light to be ambitious as women makers and to feel that they were supported in that ambition which I think is obviously um indivisible from from its realization now for you as a maker you are very active across the culture in many different ways as I suggested at the beginning uh, and you are a campaigner you are an activist in different ways for language and for the contents of language for lived experience and challenged experience do you feel given uh, everything that we've been through uh, this year particularly of course as a kind of a, 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 a crucible of, of the ongoing problems that we face for a much longer period do you feel that there is a sense now across numerous platforms of at least the start of a kind of systemic change? The short answer is yes and no. It's perhaps indicative that this is a piece that was written in summer 2016 and it was written in July 2016 and first performed in September 2016 and in a sense we're now reaching an end whatever it will be of the cycle that began with the organizing around the Brexit referendum and then the referendum the outcome of the referendum itself and then the US election some months later in the same year and again although that isn't an apparent uh, apparatus of the piece. The piece was, of course, written in that time frame and is infused with the rage. So one of the phrases that I use in the poem Intensities and Surfaces, responding to Anya Galazio's work, describes it as space seized up 
and breathed. And those words, just reading them again now, are so haunting for everything that we have seen about the loss of breath and the lack of breath and who has been prevented from breathing by police violence, by the mismanagement of a global pandemic, by the mismanagement of climate crisis and pollution. That breath, it doesn't feel like we should be talking in a sense about systemic change at a level beyond breath, beyond earth. These are the places where I feel like systemic change is happening at its most exciting through groups like Black Lives Matter, through some of the emergent strategy practices that are being shared globally um, through what's happening in Thailand and Hong Kong, uh, through what's just happened in Bolivia. Uh, perhaps in the UK, we are not quite ready or not quite up to date with responding on the scale that we've seen um, happening globally this year. But definitely the energy feels present and also the consciousness of the weight, the repression that Galazio's piece also evokes uh, is also present. So perhaps it goes back to that relationship that Jane Prophet's piece explores between darkness and light and the brilliance of light seen against a backdrop of intense darkness and the amount of work and power that is needed to make that brilliance appear and sustain it. Um, and I think that cultural practices have a huge role to play in narrating uh, that, in imagining it. I love Adrian Murray Brown's idea of organizing an activism as science fiction, and perhaps science fiction can also be organizing an activism when it's practiced ethically. And that was what connected all three of the works that I engaged with uh, out of the huge archive that the Whopping Project had to offer. And I could have turned in many different directions. But the idea of the, the project itself is an act of what we might call science fiction, of imagining that this is the world as it is, in which large-scale works of feminist art engaging climate change, engaging power, engaging imperialism. That's what you see everywhere around you, whether you're a young person, a school child coming in to engage with it, or someone who's lived in that neighborhood for many, many years, and its situation, um, you know, in Wapping, an area with hundreds of years of history of workers' struggle. Um, is something perhaps we can reflect on and give us hope and solidarity and, and steadfastness as we move into this confrontation between, you know, the forces that wish to repress and the forces that wish to sustain the light. Tremendous. Well, there's a huge amount uh, that we could talk further on, uh, but sadly we do draw to a close now. But before we do that, I'd like to just take up that idea of cycles uh, of political, social, historical life that you mentioned in relation to 2016 and now 2020. And of course, your words all too prescient, sadly, to uh, what we have experienced over those last uh, few years. But to bring this up to date now with your, your own recent publication, A Nazi Word for a Nazi Thing, published by Peninsula Press, in which you go back to a, a decade uh, as your prompt uh, for, for your text uh, that has been regularly compared to ours, to the 30s, to the rise of fascism across Europe and beyond uh, that that decade saw. And uh, you take as your starting point for an extraordinarily wide-ranging and profound inquiry about how we might resist uh fascism, proto or direct, uh, with the 1937 Nazi show of Degenerate Art. And I wonder if you could just give us a sense of 
how that became the prompt for your ongoing inquiry and, and response and, and resistance to the times that we're in. One strand that has been tying my work together over the last 10 years, as you mentioned, Gareth, is working as a curator, something that you do yourself, and thinking about curation as an ethical practice, which we've been essentially talking about around uh, Jules Wright's role commissioning and curating the work in the Wapping Project, and then the commissioning and curating of the responses published more recently. And curation is something that in the last five or ten years has been in some ways turned into a form of authorship itself when it's practiced at large institutions by people who are incredibly well known and and claim that you know they are driving or creating a cultural form whereas the actual hard work uh, of what I really see as curation which is building relationships building networks is often invisibilized and it's often left to people who have less dominant embodiments and then written out of the historical records. So I'd been writing about various film curation archives, uh, including one based in London at the Mayday Rooms, June Giovanni's Pan-African Cinema Archive, and to have the opportunity to reflect on the ethics of curation. And in some ways that led me to rethink the degenerate art show uh, of 1937, which is often framed as a singular or extreme act of bad curation, or what today we might call bad faith curation, in that it specifically curated work in order to obfuscate, devalue, disregard, um, insult it, and to promote uh, at the Nazi ideology that also demanded the obfuscation and later physical erasure of some of the artists and their communities and it made me reflect on how as you say uh, much of what happened uh, in the 1930s in terms of fascism and populism is often exceptionalized and then when we're thinking about the present moment or other instances of totalitarianism there's a sliding scale or um, this kind of sense of exceptionalism or extremism remains and I actually became much more interested in the history of where that practice came from and how it was able to occur so it wasn't a one-off it didn't happen outside a mainstream uh, of curation and the book looks at Antarctica Kunst in its relation to the practices of muse- museums um, and particularly anthropology museums um, of the preceding century to understand how an exhibition like that could take place. Um, that it, you know, it wasn't standing outside the mainstream um, but did fit into a larger history of practices of hyper-visibility being used to control, contain, and ultimately erase individuals and whole communities. Um, It's really important to study Antarctica Kunst in detail to understand exactly what was included, how it was described in the catalogue, and huge amounts of incredible archival, very painful archival work have been done that made it possible for me to make this argument. So it was also an engagement with that scholarship, but trying to situate it in a a number of different relationships, including with what the ways that queer culture, um, queer cultural production continue to be appropriated, misrepresented, mainstreamed, eviscerated of their politics, um, 
portrayed and also continue to be made as resistance. So I wanted to understand, again, uh, a continuity and a transition rather than an extreme position that is isolated in its historical moment. Thank you very much indeed. I mean, all uh, crucial approaches and to bring them together, of course, in the publication is even more urgent and necessary, sadly, than ever. I'm delighted um, that our listeners can read, of course, your uh, triptych of of responses uh, to the Wapping Project Archive, Transition, Transformation and Transience uh, on the Wapping Project's website. If you go to the uh, commission's uh, choice in the menu and and scroll down, you will find the full text there, along with other wonderful writers in the first publication by uh, Wapping Project Commission. And of course, you can read So's A Nazi Word for a Nazi Thing, published just uh, last month in November 2020 by Peninsula Press, wonderful independent press uh, operating in London uh, with international writers and books of necessity and uh, renown. Uh, Thank you very much indeed for being with us. So before we close, I would like to just think out loud with our listeners about the idea of curation. As you say, I'm also curator. Um, you are a curator par excellence because you actually embody the, the crucial etymological origin of the word, which is care. And care, of course, is an active being in the world and understanding the world relationally in terms of the lived experience of others. And I think that's an outstanding quality in all your work, whether curating, uh, campaigning, or, of course, writing. It's been a real pleasure uh, to be in conversation with you. We're delighted in this uh, in this episode of the podcast series that uh, Robert Whitelock will be reading uh, your poems from the uh, Wapping Project uh, publication as well as part of this. So thank you very much indeed for your time today and uh, I do hope onwards into 2021, a better year, we hope, a year where that solidarity can be seen to be working uh, towards systemic change in action more than ever. Thank you very much indeed for your time today, Somaya. Thank you, Gareth. I'm delighted now to introduce Robert Whitelock, who will be reading So Meyer's Line of Visible Light. So Meyer, Line of Visible Light. 1. Prophet Conductor, Transition. Edmund Burke notes that while darkness is sublime, a quick transition from darkness to light produces an effect on the mind that is even more powerful. From Jane Prophet's Conductor webpage. An electroluminescent wire is a thin copper wire coated in phosphor which glows when an alternating current is applied to it. EL wire is not a series of points but produces a 360 degree unbroken line of visible light. From Wikipedia. Electroluminescence is one way of shining. Light can be produced as a result of chemical reactions in bioorganisms, as a result of the mechanical action on a solid, as a result of the absorption of photons, as a result of ionizing radiation, and by the re-emission of absorbed energy when a substance is heated. Light is work. Light is power. Light is currency. Light is movement. Light is movement from one point to another. Light is movement to the eye, in the eye. Light happens at the spark gap, is a leap, a leak, a lack, a lick at the air, a lift, a gift. In Spanish, darle luz means to give birth to, to give to the light. In conductor, 120 electroluminescent cables dropped 24 feet into 74 tons of water a kind of birthing pool contiguous with the womb, holding the viewer in a stilled moment of transition, of always being born. 
four miles by road or seven miles by river from the Thames barrier, the Wapping project was close to the flood. As sea levels rise and the river is inundated, dinoflagellate, sea sparkle, plankton may appear floating through what remains of the city. As he sets up the frame for his seafaring tale, Joseph Conrad's Marlowe tells his listeners, as dusk falls, that London is like a running blaze on a plain, like a flash of lightning in the clouds. We live in the flicker, heart of darkness. Downriver from Wapping, in sight of Gravesend, where Matuaka or Pocahontas is buried, Marlowe imagines back to the malarial colonial outpost of Londinium. His quick transition from dark to light is a site-specific response that cables here to there, London to Congo, with lines of unbroken dark. Wapping Hydraulic Power Station was built in 1890, a showroom of hydraulic power and precursor of the four hydraulic stations built over the next decades on the Thames that circulated power throughout the capital. Heart of Darkness was published in 1899. One can imagine Marlowe and his listeners on deck, catching sight of sparks, struck at the great empire-building project upriver. When the power station ceased to produce hydraulic power, a telecommunications company was quick to buy its network of almost 200 miles of pipes to run its cable along. Electroluminescence was used by the same company to make mobile phone screens glow green. What runs through is power. What moves, circulates, is in transit, in the flicker, in the balance. Empire statement buildings, glib global networks we try to occupy, send resistance. The typical wire breaks down at around 180 volts pp, so if using an unregulated transformer, back-to-back -back zeners and series current limiting resistor is essential. Wikipedia. The floor of the ocean is webbed with messages pulsed, pulsed, pulsed as light. 2. Answers from the ocean. Transformation. An ocean asks in wave form, wave mouth singing in our bones. Oh, it echoes. An ocean is not Occam, does not occur by definition how multiple its entity. An ocean has two sides or more, come together, apart together. An ocean answer takes forever, takes it, smooths it to a perfect sphere. An ocean is the shape of its waves, the thunder of a thousand steps, its depth, echo. An ocean, a commotion, a co-motion, a concentration only, 10% as saline as Lake Vanda in Antarctica. An ocean as a system of cohabitation, krill, whale, barnacle, fulma and ff forever. An ocean catches trash, but widening gyre it cannot hold. An ocean approaches, changes temperature, changes weather. An ocean is a siren, scatters warnings we are not scared enough. An ocean is as real as mermaids, narwhals, sailors' yarns, GPS kraken deepwater horizon. An ocean elaborates, is elaborated an embroidery of roots, blue on green on gold. An ocean makes one little room, and everywhere 
For only those who claim to rule the waves, never, 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 an ocean grave, unmarked by stone, eroded nations, populations, poems, by which murders could have been marked, an ocean tastes of liberation, bitter but salt roads back to the other side that should never have been other, an ocean feels like memory, clings to skin this salt, is tears, it tears at our island notion, an ocean is a human designation. Our planet's water has no borders. 3. Intensities and surfaces. Transience. Fuck, block and tackle. Corrosive salt heart turns hard edge to lit tears. Oh! Ice is as Elsa knows, stronger than a hundred men. Is space seized up and breathed? Let it go under, in and down, kneel down in it, lie down in it, and lick it, liquid, lucid, light. Thank you very much indeed for being with us today. Next week I'll be in conversation with Tyna Gallis and Andrea Luca Zimmerman, respectively cinematographer and editor and director of the extraordinary, unsettling, provocative but crucially necessary documentary essay film Erase and Forget, significantly supported and promoted by Wapping Project Commissions. I do hope you can join us then. Thank you very much indeed and goodbye.